The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. And when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your Spirit by the power of your Word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. There's this old English proverb, most of you know it, never look a gift horse in the, in the mouth. I had to, I had to look up to, to discover the, the origins of this phrase, and the farthest back I could go was to St. Jerome in the 400s, and he, he took it from the, the world of, of Rome, and it could go back to the Greeks, maybe the Egyptians, who knows, but, but his translation says, never inspect the teeth of a given horse. This would be the, the attempt to try and value something. So you go to the marketplace and you're going to buy a horse. Well, you want to know how old the horse is because you, you don't know that, that maybe he you know, celebrated his birthday last September. So, so you need to do some work to be able to figure out, well, how old is this horse? And so you, you take a look in the mouth because horse's teeth, they, they continue to, to grow and, and more come in and, and, and the more that are in the mouth, the, the older the horse is, as well as you can tell by the shape of the teeth and, and all these things. It's very agricultural and I'm a city kid, I'm sorry. But this proverb comes to us and says, well, yeah, you might go to the marketplace and you're going to inspect this horse because you want to know what you're getting, right? Because an older horse would probably not be as highly valued as a younger horse. But here this proverb comes to us, and what does it tell us? Don't try to value that which is gifted to you for free. 
right? And yet, how often have we done that? All it takes is one Christmas where you decide, I'm going to spend the same amount of money on everybody, and you get one kid 12 presents and the other kid gets five. But you spent the same amount. But what does the kid who got five think of the one who got 12? They got more. You love them more. You got them 12 presents, and I only got five. Right? And that just continues on quite often. I can remember when we would have community dinners up in my previous parish uh, last Thursday of the month, and there was a woman who would attend who she was notorious for complaining about every time she ate the food, even though it was free. You know, a, a semi-cold hot dog. Well, I'm sorry, it's, it's free. We're doing the best we can. It's a, it's a free meal. And yet, how often it is that we value gifts. Things that are gifted to us, no questions asked, not with our deserving, and yet we often place value on them when we're not supposed to. I think, too, of a one-year-old's birthday party. How many have been to a one-year-old's birthday party before? Yeah. You'll, you'll take the time to, to think of the best present you can get for this one-year-old. Usually it's more for the parents than it is for the one-year-old. But... So you, you spend all this time maybe on a new toy or whatever, and you just think it's awesome. And so you, you put it in the box and you wrap it and you bring it there and they need some help getting the wrapping paper off. And they rip the wrapping paper off and then they need help opening up the box. And they open up the box, take the toy out. What does the one-year-old usually do? Play the box, play the paper. Doesn't really care about the gift. So this is a, this is a, a key to you if you're, you're invited to another one-year-old's birthday party. Just buy them an empty box, wrap it in wrapping paper, they will think it's just the most awesome thing in the world. They'll be happier than a pig in poop. They'll just be like, dude, I got a box! Yes! And they get to crumple up paper and all those things. And you know what happens? We'll sit there and look at this kid going, I ran all over town to get that toy. I was, got one of the last ones on the shelf, and you don't care, you little brat. Right? And yet that child, what are they doing but enjoying the gift? You brought them something. They're happy. Well, Christ tells us this parable this morning in part because we are a valuing people. We are ones who will have gifts and we tend to place value on them. And this, this parable that we have of the vineyard workers actually comes right after the encounter that Jesus has with the rich young ruler. And most of you know this story, but if you don't, a rich man comes to, to Jesus, a young man, and he, he starts out with a question, and the question is wrong from the get-go, and I'll just state it and we'll see if you can catch on, but he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's wrong with the question? Do we do anything to inherit anything? If you're going to inherit something, what are the two things that have to happen? Either one, you're in the family, so you just so happen to be in the will, or two, the one who has died has decided to give you something. Put your name in there. And yet this young man comes to Jesus and says, well, there's got to be something. Do I slip you a 20? You know, is that all I got to do to get past the, the, the velvet rope? 
And so Jesus tells us this parable to try and, and blow our minds a little bit because the disciples are a little bothered because Jesus says, well, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're sitting here going, but wait, wealth is an is a, is a example of God's blessings. The wealthy are blessed by God. They should have an easy ticket, a train to heaven. should be perfect. And Jesus says, well, actually, let me tell you a story. And so he gives us this story says a master, a landowner, is going out to hire some workers. He, he needs to get his crop in. He, he's heard that there's storms coming in, that there's some drought. Maybe he's worried about some bugs or whatever. And so he goes down to the local Home Depot, and there's a bunch of guys waiting around to be hired for, for a day's laborer. And these guys are really good at what they do. Uh, they, 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 they're you know, A-listers when it comes to handyman work and everything, but they, they really don't have, have contract jobs, so they're waiting. And so the landowner comes to them and he starts bartering with them on, on how much it's going to cost him for the day's wage. And he settles with some of them on the daily wage. It, it would have been a denarius. It would have been a, what would have been the day's wage for a common laborer. We'll give it a value, $120, whatever. And, and so those, those guys go off into his field to work, but not all of them. And we'll discover that in just a second. But he, but he makes this, this deal with them and so he sends them all into the vineyard, those that have agreed with him to that wage. But then he realizes when he gets there that it's a lot more work than the workers that he has. So he goes back three hours later. He'd gone at dawn at six. Now he goes back at nine and he finds some of these workers that had not agreed with him. They're still waiting around. They're hoping that someone else is going to come and give them a better deal maybe. And he says, go into my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. How many of us would jump on that chance? Probably not, because most of us would want some assurance, right? Be like, I want a contract. I want to know what I'm going to get after I go into this vineyard to work. And so they just say no. Our, our translation betrays us. It says, well, they went, they went also. That's not what it says. The verb actually says they went away. It's this verb for departing. It's this verb for they went, whatever is right. You're not going to tell me. I'm not going to go work for you. I'll wait for somebody else. That's the reason why the master then has to go out when? He has to go out again at noon. And he goes out at three. He's begging. He's saying, come on, let's go. I need you. I'll pay you whatever is right. And he gets to the 11th hour, five o'clock. There's only one hour left of work. The day is almost done. He goes out to him and he says, why are you still here? What are you doing here? Seriously. Did you think a better offer was going to come along? Did you think that, that someone else was going to come here and, and give you something better than what I have to give you? You keep on refusing. Now there's only one hour left of work today. What have you got to lose? One hour. Just trust me. And he doesn't even barter with them. He doesn't even say, I'll pay you whatever is right. He just says, go. And they sort of look at each other and they think, well, I've got to come home with something or my wife is really going to be ticked. I've got to bring home even uh, like one piece of bacon. Maybe not the whole slab, just one piece. So, well, we'll take our chances. We'll go. And so they go into the vineyard for that one hour, and what happens? It pays off. They get a really sweet gig, right? They get paid for a full day's work for one hour. The master could have prorated it. Said you get 10 bucks. You only worked one hour, not 12, $10. But no, he pays them 120 bucks. 
just like he paid the first group. And our first thought is, that is so unfair. That's not fair. I slaved all day, and they get paid the same as me. They've been hanging out, having smoothies at Home Depot. They cheated the system. That's at least what the whiner says to the master, and what does the master respond but says, am I not allowed to do whatever with what is mine? Because what happens? It's not as though the, the, the contract was not fulfilled. The contract was fulfilled with the first group. And they actually didn't lose anything. He didn't take from the first group and give to the second group. He paid the first group what he was said he would pay them, and then actually the master got poorer because he paid the second group for one hour's worth of work, for a full day's work. The master ended up being gracious and merciful without anything special being asked of that second group apart from, get in my vineyard. The problem for us, church, is that we read this text and we get upset, and I think it is because most of us belong to that first group. Jesus told this parable in part to speak of the fact that those religious of us don't have some special favor before God over and against those who are not. It's as though Jesus is saying of this first group, well, that's us, those of us born into the church, those of us pastor's kids, those of us who've been given the gifts, who've received the call of God upon us in baptism, who give our 10%, who make our pledge, who've suffered through teaching Sunday school and confirmation, who built this church, who know the hymns and the liturgy, we know the history, we know the culture, we know the names. We've labored in the vineyard for many years, and we look down on the other group. And God comes to us and says, no, you've received gifts too. I've given to you, I just happened to call you earlier. Because the second group, they're the wayward, they're the prodigals, they're the lost, they're the obstinate, they're the unbelieving. They're the post-confirmation youth who've said, I've graduated from church, Woohoo! And then I don't get to see them again until they show up to have their first baby baptized, maybe. They're the Christmas and Easter cheesters that most of us turn our nose up at or look down upon because we think, you should be here every Sunday. They were the ones who maybe are looking for something else, looking for some other purpose because they've forgotten the one who gives the gifts. And yet Christ comes to them at any time and says, why are you still here? Come into my vineyard. Just as he speaks to us. Because in the grace of God, those of us who are in the first group, we're in the first group solely because of God's grace in calling us. And those in the second group are blessed by the grace of God because of his continually going to them. He went to them at nine, he went to them at noon, he went to them at three, and finally, finally in that last hour saying, go now. He seeks the idle, he seeks the lost, even the unhirable, because the reality is, is that with God, in his mercy is election, his work coming to us, where God comes to call us, not when we're ready, he comes to call us when he's ready. And he comes to us with his gifts in order to do that. He gives us faith, this, this trust that, 
that breaks apart our burdens to, to, to make us free in life and death. He gifts us election so that God is the one preemptively working, choosing you before you had time to figure out whether he was worth it or not. The persistence of this God. And it doesn't come with great fanfare. It comes with a Jesus who comes to you in simple things like your water, the waters of your baptism in bread and wine, in the Word, in a preacher. And yet, for the 11-hour latecomers, it comes to them in the same way. Because what was the Master's is now yours. And so Christ comes to us and He speaks to us in this parable and He says, take what belongs to you and go. It belongs to you, this gift given to you, this gift of adoption, of being put into the will, this gift of faith, breathed into you through the Holy Spirit. This gift of your Jesus that's been given to you that cannot be taken away from you no matter how many hours you work in the vineyard or not. This gift that is given to be able to say that we should not be trying to place a value on it based on on some other thing, looking for, for something else, but instead just bask in the glory that is Christ given to us for free. Because otherwise we get stuck in the prison of our own hearts that place value on things. Prison of sin that causes us to think it is something about us that makes us worthy. And yet Christ comes to us and says, no, the worth worth is in me and I give it to you freely. Thanks be to God. Amen.